Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the wrestling highlights of the week for Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, and AEW Rampage. There will be no Impact Wrestling or SmackDown highlights of the week because Impact is still doing their review of 2021, of what happened in 2021 for their show. And SmackDown will be giving you the top moments of what happened in WWE. So that's the reason why there will be no highlights of both of these shows. But before I do any of the highlights of Raw, NXT, or um, AEW Dynamite or Rampage, I want to talk about this right now. Um, It was cited Wednesday that from Frightful Select's own Sean Ross Sapp that Tony Storm has requested her release from WWE and they granted it to her, which means that Tony Storm is out of WWE. Now, it was cited by Dave Meltzer on the Wrestling Observer Radio on Thursday's edition that she was uh, cited as being burnt out as the only reason that he was given that she was giving her surprise uh, departure. Now, it surprised me not really that much, to be honest with you. Um, when you look at Tony Storm's time in WWE on the main roster, matter of fact, you can even go to her NXT time. She was on NXT UK for a minute, and then whenever it got time for her to get pulled over to the NXT brand, she was on the NXT brand, what, last year in 2020. And last year, 2020, it was about time for pandemic. Pandemic hit, and she was only on there for a brief moment. She wasn't, like, heavily featured on NXT brand over in the American Central side. And then when she got called up, she was called up in July, but she really didn't get featured until, what, October, November-ish. So that means that's August, September, October, November. Three to four months that she wasn't technically on SmackDown. See, that's a thing for me that I don't understand why if you're WWE and you have talent on your roster that you know what they're capable of doing, why not put them as much as you can on television? You have certain stars like a Roman Reigns who's meant for the main event status that you guys built up so much that he has the head of the table feature that, okay, he's for the main events and we put him in about two or three segments throughout the night if we want to do that just for people to get interested in the main event, basically the last segment of the show. That's what we do. And when you have wrestlers that are great wrestlers as a Ricochet or a Sami Zayn or a Tony Storm in this instance or a Sasha Banks or... Uh, Charlotte Flair, or so many other wrestlers on SmackDown. I don't understand how you will only put them in for a, li a limited amount of time, not give them too much, probably about a good 10 minutes, or subsequently even less when it comes down to the women's portion of the whole branding with WWE. I don't understand how you just give them that little bit shorter time and expect them to click onto the, the crowd and the audience. Certain people are able to do that. I'm not going to crap on it because Rick Boogs, he's able to, but he's just shredding a guitar and introducing Shinsuke Nakamura, but he does it with so much excitement and um, energy, while Tony Storm, she's just specifically there to wrestle, and that's not a bad thing because when you're in WWE, is world wrestling entertainment. You still have to have wrestling in the marquee, but the thing is, she comes off of being on the NXT brand for a little bit of time, but majority spending a lot of the time on the NXT UK brand, which hardly anybody watches, and I hate to say it like that, but it's true. Hardly anybody watches the NXT UK brand unless you are a real, like, diehard, diehard, 
diehard person that has to watch every single thing, which I'm not crapping on people because I used to be that way when I was a teenager. If I was given the network the way it came out in 2014-ish, back whenever it was like when I was a teen teen, like in 2008, 2009, I'll be watching everything that WWE puts out. That would be the 205 Lives, your NXT UKs, everything that WWE produces. But I don't do that anymore. I'm only watches the SmackDowns, the Raws, the NXTs, the AEW Dynamites, the Rampage, the Impact Wrestling. I catch up on MLW from time to time. I try to catch New Japan whenever I can catch it. I mean, there's so much wrestling, but in my younger, like younger, younger tier, like time, I would have really caught everything. Like I have my finger on the pulse for every single thing. I knew who the hot young wrestlers were that people need to sign up. And I still kind of do now, but not as much as I did back then. Getting to the point. NXT UK, unless you are Walter, or I'll even put Tyler Bate in there, not Trent Seven, because Trent Seven, uh, he's not known that much in the American soil as much as Tyler Bate, because Tyler Bate was the first ever NXT UK champion, and he was on uh, NXT at least a little bit more than Trent Seven before they formed Mustache Mountain in British Strong Style with Pete Dunne over here. Walter is the only exception for how people will know about the NXT UK brand and they will really watch the NXT UK brand for Walter because he slaps hard, he chops hard, he is an old school, old school professional wrestler type guy. So anybody else that's not Walter or even the Tyler Bate, the NXT UK brand is only going to work if you are in the England, if you are over there and the England fans watch the product. People in the American soil I don't see them watching that much of the product. And that was the problem for Tony Storm's end. She was on there for so long that whenever she got time for her to go over to the NXT side of American Soil, she was supposed to be brought up as this big thing as the second NXT UK champion. But that wasn't the case. She was only there on the product that little bit of time on the NXT part. And I don't remember her getting so much of a big push. Really, she didn't. And then she gets called up, and then they do nothing with her for a good three to four months. And then she gets on the Survivor Series SmackDown side for the women's team. They lose. But then next thing you know, she's with Charlotte Flair. And she was just wrestling Charlotte Flair last week for the SmackDown Championship, Women's Championship. And she lost in the last image that you see her on television. It's her starting to cry because she lost her big moment to Charlotte Flair. That was bad creative process for Tony Storm. Tony Storm should have had a lot of competitive matches as she was supposed to in WWE on the main roster. But that goes to show that when you're on the main roster, you have to really get in people's faces. I'm not sure if Tony was just happy to be on the main roster and she didn't want to step on toes, but I believe that every wrestler needs to know that, yo, you got to step on toes when you get up there. You have to step on toes. You have to get in people's faces certain time to get in people's faces because you'll get pulled off to the wayside and the people only focus on certain characters that's already there that they want to put all their their money into that basket. You got to really step on people's toes. I use this. I'll use this example. You got to Xavier Woods this. Xavier Woods with the New Day with himself and Kofi and Big E they were able to get themselves on television because he put himself out there. They put themselves out there and 
Xavier really put himself out there on the ledge. He already said it on his uh, New Day podcast with him and Kofi and Big E. He talked about the story about how he put it all out there on the line. He told Vince, yo, we need to be a bad guy group. Vince said nobody would boo Kofi Kingston. Xavier Woods said, give me four weeks and I'll have them booing Kofi Kingston. And if I can't make them boo Kofi Kingston, I don't need to be here. There are other people here that are ready to take my spot. Vince McMahon gave him the deal. He had four weeks to do it. And within those four weeks, he was able to get Kofi to be booed. And that's how you get the New Day moniker them right now of them being a legendary, the greatest three-man stable, the greatest three-man unit of all time throughout professional wrestling history. That's not for debate. That's the fact. People need to be like, Xavier, you need to go in there and try to put your foot in there. And I mean, really just throw everything to the wall in front of Vince or whoever it is that's going to believe in you. So you won't be sitting in the back eating catering. And I understand WWE gives you a nice substantial check. I understand that that check might be good. And I mean, good, good. But if you're not feeling some type of like fulfillment in that job that you're in in WWE, which you have spent all your time just to get to, and you're finally there, and you think they're going to do something with you, and you're not getting put on television, and you're not being fulfilled, why not go balls to the wall, go crazy, throw things out to the wayside in front of production or management or the writers or even in front of Vince McMahon himself, just pull him off the side. Yo, dog, I need to speak with you because right now I'm not being used. You need to do that because if you don't, you're going to continue to be in the back. You're going to continue to be eating catering for months until they realize, oh, yeah, we have this person. We can use them. See, I hear a whole lot of stories. I watch a whole lot of uh, podcasts. Uh, I hear a whole lot of podcasts. I watch a whole lot of interviews with Chris Van Vliet or... Um, Jim Cornette's podcast, I hear about it, where wrestlers go on there. Last one that Jim talked to was FTR, and he talked about how they got bad creative from WWE. You hear that a lot on um, John Moxley's wife, Renee's podcast, The Oral Sessions with Renee. She will have former wrestlers that used to be in WWE will go to her podcast, and they'll talk about how creative was this or creative that. I'm just saying, if you are a wrestler and you're happening to listen to this right now, you got to, whenever you get to the main roster of WWE or whenever they sign you, you got to get in their faces about being used. Know the appropriate time. I'm not saying just like, hey, yo, I want to be used like right now. No, 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 no. Know the appropriate time, but please step on toes. You got to. You got to. The Only the greats step on toes. The Shield, whenever they got in there, they were protected, sure, but they still stepped on toes. The New Day. Xavier Woods, he had to get in there and he had to step on his own toe to make sure that he get, get the job done and the New Day got the job done. There's probably other unsung heroes back there that probably had to step on toes to get their way to be on television and people might be saying that's going into business for yourself. No, that's called looking out for yourself because you're the only person that's going to be able to look out for your destiny at the end of the day in that business or in any type of business environment to make sure you're self-fulfilled. I think that's what happened with Tony Storm. They say she was burnt out and she was only on television for what? Only a month and you're burnt out? I believe there's probably something else to it, but if she's burnt out, hey, she's burnt out. She requested her release. 
prayers out to Tony Storm. Let her get herself right. Let her get her mind right. Let her get her body right so she can get herself uh, unburnt out and let her figure out what she wants to do. She's on a main roster contract, so main roster is 90 days, which is three months. So she has three months to sit at home, probably collect a WWE paycheck. Well, yeah, you will be collecting a paycheck for these three months. And um, yeah, you'll just be having to sit there and wait until your whole 90 days is up, and then you'll be able to work on the independence or even get to AEW or Impact Wrestling. But again, um, Tony Storm has been released from WWE, and um, everybody here on the My Two Cents podcast would like to wish, uh, wish and hope that Tony Storm will get herself collected and just be able to breathe and just get herself right. Anyway, now with that all being said, let's get down to the Raw highlights of the week. And Raw this week was utter, and I mean utter, uh, not that great to me. And I'm going to say it to me because they were missing a whole lot of stars. They were missing Bobby Lashley. They were missing Biggie. They were missing Seth Rollins, Becky Lynch. They were even missing Omos, who was supposed to go against AJ Styles this week, which didn't happen. Um, the reason why you missed all these people is because, well, for certain, Seth Rollins already said that he had COVID. He tweeted that out. He said, Merry COVID Christmas to me. So he had COVID. More than less, Becky Lynch is, well, Obviously, they have a kid together, him and Seth, her and Seth, and they have a kid, so more or less they live together, so she probably got in contact with Seth, they want to keep herself uh, maintained with Seth, so if she has COVID, she can get rid of that within this time span. Uh, Biggie and Bobby, they probably kept away, so they could have their match at day one still and keep that preserved up, and Omos, I'm not sure, I wasn't, I'm not sure what happened to Omos, but Omos didn't show up on Raw, so they had to make do with what they had. The first thing they came out with was RK Bros uh, in-ring promo, and that in-ring promo was absolute garbage. It was garbaggio. It carried on too long. The other thing, the only thing that made this thing even worth happening and enjoyable to watch was Alpha Academy coming out to basically end this promo, and we got Riddle versus Chad Gable as the first match of the show. Uh, Riddle beat Chad Gable when he hit Chad Gable with the floating bro for the win, and then immediately after the match, Otis got in the ring and plowed. Riddle out of the ring, which set up Orton versus Otis as the next match, and that's what happened next. Randy Orton was able to win the match by pinfall when Otis missed hitting the Vader bomb on Randy, and once Randy moved out of the way and Otis hit the mat, Randy was waiting for Otis to get up and deliver the RKO, which he was finally able to after failing to do it two times during the match. So the third time was a charm, and then after the match... Uh, Riddle got on the mic and he asked Orton to basically give him a hug. Orton didn't want to, but the crowd cheered for them to hug each other. So Orton gave in and now you have Orton hugging Riddle. So RK Bro is actually on the exact same page and it looks like Orton is really, really fond of Riddle. After this, we get a mixed tag team match with 24-7 champion Dana Brooke teaming up with Reggie to go against R-Truth and Tamina. Reggie was able to get the win for his team when he hits a wheelbarrow pin on R-Truth for the win. After the match, R-Truth talked to Tamina and told her that she needs to listen to him, even though he was the one that lost the match for their team. Tamina tried to hit R-Truth, but R-Truth hit a split to dodge the punch. Then Tamina ran towards Reggie, and Reggie dropped down out of the way. So Tamina hits the corner turnbuckle. And then Dana attacks Tamina before she leaves the ring. So basically, Dana still walks out with her 24-7 championship. 
It was a fun little match. Again, it was nothing but to just feel time. After this, we got Nikki A.S.H. in a backstage interview. And the main point of this interview was that she would state that her and Rhea are issuing a challenge to Queen Selena and Carmella for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. Later in the night, Carmella would accept the match. It probably will happen at day one, maybe. I'm not sure. Or probably next week on Raw. It's never announced. But if I have had to put money on it, I'll probably say probably at day one they're going to have this match. But who knows? After this, we would get the finals of the RK Bro tournament to determine who was going to be the number one contenders for the Raw Tag Team Championships between the Street Profits and the Mysterios. The Street Profits would win the match by pinfall when they were able to hit their avalanche blockbuster on Dominic. Then Montez Ford would go and cover Dominic for the win. It was a fun tag team match between the Mysterios and Street Profits. I mean, they had a couple slip-ups towards the end of the match, however, but... In all totality, this match was a good tag team match. It gave it enough time. They were able to do what they had to do to get the fans engaged and make you really care about this match. Again, when you give tag team wrestling enough time, people will care and people will actually get to enjoy both teams and they actually get to enjoy the matchup. After this, we would get an AJ Styles in-ring promo and AJ will happen to call out Omos, but Omos doesn't come out. AJ looks into the camera and tells Omos that the next time he sees him, he will be kicking his teeth down his throat. And as AJ was talking, he sees Grayson Waller in the audience with a sign. AJ happens to call AJ Waller out in the audience and he tells him to hop the guardrail and enter the ring. Grayson Waller does so, and once Grayson Waller gets in the ring, him and AJ are having a stare down. AJ is looking at Waller as Waller gets his mic, and Waller tells AJ that, He's basically here to pay AJ back for showing up on NXT last week. And Waller saying that he likes being on Raw because he likes the atmosphere. He likes the attention that he's getting. And AJ says, well, Raw is made for stars. And you're not one. So you get AJ and Grayson Waller getting about to get in each other's face. And out of nowhere, Apollo Crews and his Commander Aziz comes out. Apollo starts making comparisons towards him and AJ, saying that they both have giants, but the difference is AJ's giant left him while his commander and Apollo are together as a united front. Commander Aziz ultimately grabs the mic and challenges AJ Styles to a match since Omos isn't here and AJ likes to challenge giants. Commander Aziz challenge AJ. AJ accepts and we go to commercial break, but when we come back, we don't get Commander Z's going against AJ Styles. We get Apollo Crews going against AJ. And the commentators told us that, well, Apollo Crews basically told Commander Z's to sit this one out and that he would take on AJ. And that's the reason why we get AJ going against Apollo Crews. AJ wins the match by pinfall when AJ was able to pin Apollo with a jackknife pin, but then float over and lift Apollo up by his legs to hit the Styles Clash for the win. It was a nice, fancy way to hit. Uh, deliver the Styles Clash. I liked it. Uh, after the match, Aziz gets in the ring and tries to attack AJ, but AJ leaves the ring, and then Aziz tries to pick up Apollo to see that uh, if he's okay, but then Apollo is still laying down, and Aziz starts hearing fans, like, cheer. Aziz turns around, and he gets hit with a phenomenal forearm by AJ Styles. I'll give Apollo and AJ... A nice, good rating for this match. It was fine. It was dandy fine. Um, nothing wrong with it. It looks like they gave Apollo a lot 
of wiggle room in this match to do what he got to do to AJ to still show off that Apollo Crews is a threat if he wants to go after a mid-card championship. It makes it seem that Apollo is Apollo. It makes it look like Apollo can still be the man that everybody wants Apollo to be. Apollo is a soon-to-be main eventer if you get him in the right path. I'm not liking this whole African accent of his, but if that's how he really speaks, hey, that's him, but I don't think so. He's been talking, like, I'm not sure to me, but it is what it is. The match was great. I would rather have them actually build up a feud between Apollo and AJ Styles and let them actually do what they have to do instead of just, like, out of the blue, hey, Apollo comes out to challenge AJ, yay. Nah. That ain't my style. That ain't my cup of tea. But, hey, it is what it is. Uh, after this, we get a Kevin Owens in-ring promo. Kevin Owens mentions that at day one, he will walk out as a WWE champion. And he also mentions that he, out of everybody in the Fatal 4-Way match, he's the only person actually here, which we all know why, because Seth Rollins has COVID and Big E and Bobby probably has to be preserved for the match at day one. MVP then comes out and tells Kevin Owens that his plan of taking out Bobby was good last week. But Bobby will be at day one. Then you get Kevin Owens and MVP having a back and forth uh, on the mic. But Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin come out of uh, the ringing entrance and they walk right up to MVP. Well, technically, they stand side by side with MVP. And Kevin Owens sees exactly what's about to happen. And he tells Cedric to hurry up and get in the ring because we know what's about to happen. You're going to tell MVP that if you take care of me, then we can reform the herb business, yada, yada, yada. Let's hurry up and get this done. So they get to the match, Kevin Owens versus Cedric Alexander with MVP and Shelton Benjamin on ringside. Kevin Owens wins the match by pinfall when he hits a pop-up powerbomb that follows it up with a stunner for the pin. After the match, Shelton gets in the ring and tries to fight Kevin Owens and tries to get Kevin Owens to have a match with him. It even gets to a point that Shelton grabs a mic, but as soon as Shelton gets the mic, it turns back around to look at Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens hits Shelton with a stunner and then leaves the ring. I don't know why they make the Hurt Business look like a bunch of chumps. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin are not chumps. Shelton Benjamin is a bad dude. If he wants to really turn up, he can really turn up and get amateur wrestling style on people. And there's no way in a wrestling ring you're going to beat an amateur wrestler. Let's be honest with you like that. And especially the way that Shelton Benjamin trains, because he's the one that helped make Brock Lesnar into the guy that Brock Lesnar is as a WWE competitor. They're both amateur wrestlers, and Shelton Benjamin helped Brock Lesnar out. So you mean to tell me that Shelton Benjamin can't take Kevin Owens? And there's no disrespect to Kevin Owens. I love the guy. like the guy. However, Shelton Benjamin should not be getting stunned out of nowhere just for the heck of it, just because you guys got to build up something for day one. I'm not, I, for one, don't uh, agree with it, but, I mean, it means, it makes a means to the end to make Kevin Owens look strong going into day one. I just wish that the WWE creative process, the creative writers, whoever in the back is, put some more respect on the Hurt Business name. The Hurt Business was a great faction last year. They carried raw majority of the year, and even at the beginning of this year, because you had Shelton Benjamin and... Uh, Cedric Alexander holding the Raw Tag Team Championship. You had Bobby Lashley holding the United States Championship. You had MVP as a great mouthpiece for all three of these men, for the stable itself. The Hurt Business should have lasted way longer, but WWE had a WWE things, and 
kill off the Hurt Business whenever Bobby won the WWE Championship and throw away Cedric and Shelton Benjamin. I will never understand for the life of me why they did it. But again, put some respect on Hurt Business' name, alright? After this, we got the United States Championship match between Damian Priest and Dolph Ziggler. This was enough time. They got enough time. It was a great match between the two men, but Dolph will win the match by disqualification. When Dolph hits a DDT on Damian Priest, then goes for the win by pinfall, but Damian kicks out of the pin, so Dolph starts trash-talking Priest. Dolph even slaps Priest, and then that's when Damian comes out. Damian starts punching Dolph, and then Dolph gets backed into a corner, and Damian continues to punch Dolph in the face constantly, and remember, in the corner, you got to the count of five to break it up, or if you don't, the referee calls for the bell, and that's what happens here. Damien doesn't stop, even after the count of five, which leads to Dolph Ziggler rolling out of the ring, and then Damien follows up and follows Dolph Ziggler outside of the ring, and then grabs him up, hits the reckoning, and that's all she wrote for this. It's leading to Damien Priest going against Dolph, and more or less, Dolph's gonna hit an old Christian uh, maneuver and say that if Damien Priest gets himself disqualified, that United States Championship will go over either to him or Bobby Roode. I see that happening because that's the only way I can see anybody beating Damien Priest technically for the United States Championship by using his little snap feature, snafu, as a uh, benefactor for them to win the United States Championship. I see that happening very soon. As it is now, it's time for the main event segment of the night, The Miz and Maurice's Wedding Renewal. You had Eric Bischoff as a special officiant for this segment, and Miz talked about how he will beat up Edge at day one, and then he got to talk about his vows to Maurice, and they gave their vows to each other. I mean, this segment was, it is what it is. We know what wrestling uh, wedding renewals are. We know what they're we know what wrestling whole weddings are. Somebody's come most supposed to come out and destroy the wedding, and that didn't break tradition here. Edge came out and he talked to Miz, and I'm about to play the clips of Edge talking to Miz right now. Listen, I'm not out here to ruin anything. I could talk about how obnoxious you both are and how I threw up in my mouth a little bit listening to your vows, but I won't do that. I won't talk about what kind of man you are using your wife as a shield and a decoy. I won't do that because finally this Saturday at day one, I have a match against you and I am gonna beat your ass. Listen, Mike, Maurice, I I gotta hand it to you. For the last few weeks, you've embarrassed me out here. I mean, last week I saw it coming, I called it, but you still slipped through the cracks. But what goes around comes around. So before I beat you at day one, I'm going to embarrass you. So once Edge says that he's going to embarrass them, he starts waving down somebody to come down the entrance ramp. And then nobody comes down. He looks, starts looking into the crowd, and nobody's in the crowd. And you see the Miz just getting paranoid. He tells Edge to stop it. What are you doing? What are What kind of crap are you doing? Edge then has this to say to the Miz. Man, I'm just messing with you. I'm just playing mind games. Listen, I don't want to spoil your wedding, okay? So I'll just... Wait, you didn't want this to be a white wedding, did you? Once Edge says this, you end up hearing this. Then you start hearing Edge hit his sinister laugh, and then the lights start flickering red. And it's the brood's music. 
And we all know what's coming up next because we saw it earlier this year in the summertime whenever Edge had his feud with Rollins. We are looking for the Black Sludge to come down and by God does it come down. He lands in the middle right dead on top of Miz and Maurice. And that's the final image that you have on Monday Night Raw. Miz and Maurice covered in Black Sludge. And that is the end of Monday Night Raw going into day one. Now it's time for NXT. NXT opens up with Grayson Waller, and he has his in-ring promo to open up NXT. He talks about showing up on Monday Night Raw this past Monday. Waller mentions that he doesn't know why people don't like him. He mentions how he was supposed to face Dexter Loomis tonight, but since he got hit in the back with a chair last week, management found him a replacement. The replacement turns out to be Odyssey Jones. Once Odyssey comes down to the ring, Grayson Waller walks out of the ring trying to avoid the match. Odyssey gets on the mic and calls Grayson Waller a female dog. And Grayson Waller then goes and turns around and walks towards the match. Well, towards the ring to have the match. And that's the first match of the night that we have on NXT. Grayson Waller going against Odyssey Jones. Grayson Waller wins the match by pinfall. When Grayson pulled the top turnbuckle off and Odyssey happens to run into the top turnbuckle. Which is, has now been exposed. Grayson Waller was then able to hit his rolling stunner for the win. And that's all you got to say for that. I mean, it was a fun match between Grayson Waller and Odyssey Jones. I wish Odyssey Jones was on television a lot more. But it's a slow build for Odyssey Jones. I see that's where we want to uh, go with this. Anyway, after the match, as Grayson Waller was in the ring celebrating this win, AJ Styles pops up on the screen and lets Grayson Waller know that he will be at NXT next week on their special New Year's Evil edition of NXT. So basically, Grayson Waller and AJ Styles will be coming face-to-face again, and more or less, it's probably going to set up a match that I'll probably have somewhere down the line in the future on NXT. After this, we get Cora Jade and Raquel Gonzalez in a backstage interview. They talk about how they're ready to face Toxic Attraction tonight, and they mention that they can coexist because they know they got to take care of some toxic trash tonight. Io Shirai then walks up to them and lets them know that she doesn't care who wins the triple threat match next week. She wants next at the championship. Kaylee Ray then walks up and says that she wants next for the NXT Women's Championship. So this leads to Mandy Rose popping her head up on the screen backstage and letting all four of the ladies know that instead of Toxic Attraction taking uh, on Cora Jade and Raquel Gonzalez later tonight, it will be Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray teaming up to go against Cora Jade and Raquel Gonzalez. And the winning team will face Mandy Rose next week in the triple threat match for the NXT Women's Championship at New Year's Evil. And that gets official. So in the main event, it will be Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray going against Cora Jade and Raquel Gonzalez. After this, we get MSK having their in-ring promo. And they're talking about how they're happy to be back in NXT. They mentioned that the last time they were in NXT, they lost their tag team championships to Imperium at Halloween Havoc. They mentioned how they have fun finding the Shaman Riddle, and then you get Riddle showing up on the screen on the Titan Tron because Riddle was supposed to be there. He ends up apologizing to MSK, telling them that, hey, I'm sorry I couldn't be here tonight, but Riddle tells them that they need to challenge Imperium for the tag team championships for them to get their mojo back. So that's what MSK does. They call out Imperium. Imperium comes out. Imperium tells MSK that they can't touch him on the in the ring and that the championships will be staying with them. And then out of nowhere, Walter pops up on the Titan Tron and he starts calling MSK a disgrace of professional wrestling, how they have no respect for the mat. 
and everything else. And the riddle pops back up on the screen. So now we've got like a half and half, a riddle on one side, Walter on another side. Riddle is there to back up his boys, MSK. So Riddle basically throws out the challenge to Imperium next week. Of the three stallion bros, MSK and Riddle, going against Imperium and Walter. Walter accepts the match and it's official. Next week, it will be a six-man tag team match. MSK and Riddle going against Imperium and Walter. The reason why I know Walter is probably wasn't there this week is because isolation. He's coming from the UK and... CDC regulations, well, now technically, it used to be 10 days you had to be isolated, but now probably five. So uh, he was isolated just to make sure he doesn't have COVID. So next week, the match could happen. That's the reason why Walter wasn't on, well, in person in NXT, the building area. But you should be expecting him next week. And that six-man match is one I'm going to be definitely having my eyes on. Because I want Randy to pop up in NXT. I really do. Just to be as a shock appearance for the NXT crowd. Why not? Because Riddle's already his tag team partner for Raw with the Raw Tag Team Championships. Why not just have Randy pop up in there? I understand Randy doesn't need the check. He doesn't need uh, to pop up down there. But just to give NXT more star power, why not just pop up there just for a good uh, sign of great of grace towards the NXT audience and the NXT performers backstage? I would, but again, that's Randy's business. Anyway, we get Harlan going against the Brian Kendrick. That match was supposed to happen. That match doesn't happen because Gracie is on the microphone and tells Harlan that Kendrick is like so many others. They talk a big game, but once they get confronted, they don't show up. We never get a reason or why Brian Kendrick isn't there, but... Out of nowhere, Andre Jace comes out to the ring and says, this right here is a teachable moment. And the teachable moment is that you don't run away from your problems. Gracie tells Chase that he thanks him for stepping up and taking in the spot for Brian Kendrick to face Harlan. Andre Chase seems really, really uh, shocked to even be in this predicament because he just thought that this would be a teachable moment because this is his whole thing. He comes down and says, this is a teachable moment. And he didn't expect to be in a match with Harlan, but he's in a match with Harlan. Harlan beats the brakes off of Andre Chase. I mean, Harlan wins the match by referee stoppage whenever he grabs Chase's head. And he starts bouncing it on the mat like a basketball. And the referee has to stop the match because Andre Chase couldn't even defend himself. After the match, Gacy looks at Harlan and asks Harlan, does he feel any better after this? Harlan shakes his head no. So then you get Gacy with a sinister smile on his face, and they walk right back to the ring where Andre Chase is laid out completely. Then it looks like Harlan is about to go for round two on Andre, but one of Andre Chase's students runs into the ring and cover Andre Chase. Harlan decides to grab that student, drag him out of the ring. That student hits the mat on the outside of the ring, the little black, like, surface pretty hard then harlan picks this student up throw him over his shoulders and walks directly to the back later in the night we would see harlan go on top of the nxt building and it looks like he's about to throw the student off but joe gacy has to tell harlan listen you made your point put him down harlan puts the student down and it seems to me that probably we're going to get the student uh going against harlan in the next couple of weeks 
on NXT, probably as a revenge uh, thing. I can see that happening, and more or less, in professional wrestling, that's more or less going to happen. Anyway, directly after this, we would get Legado del Fantasma outside of Electra Lopez's uh, woman's dressing room, and they're waiting for Electra to come out. Electra comes out of the dressing room, and they ask, and she asks them why they waiting for her. Santos Escobar tells Electra Lopez, well, asks Electra Lopez, what's the deal with Zion Quinn? And he asks, and basically asks Electra, is it Zion you want to be with, or is your familia do you want to be with? Because earlier in the night, Zion Quinn looked into the camera and told Electra Lopez point blank, listen, this whole thing needs to end. Do you want to be with me, or do you want to be with the God of the Fantasma? So, that's what's basically happening here. As they're in the hallway, Solo Sequoia pops out of one room, and he sees Legado del Fantasma standing there, and he says, my bad, and he tries to walk back into his room, but Santos tells Solo that he's interfering with family business and wants an apology. I'm sorry, I thought my bad was an apology, especially when you didn't really mean to do anything. I think my bad is an apology in this day and age. Solo tells Santos that, listen, your anger is misplaced, and he looks at Electra Lopez up and down, and he says to Santos, listen, but we can handle this in the ring, all right? And then Santos looks at Solo and says, oh, yeah? Solo says, yeah, we can do that. And then Solo looks at the rest of Legato del Fantasma, then walks away. Again, Solo Sequoia is the Usos' brother, and I understand you got to have him go through NXT to whatever you want to do, but by God, hurry up and put him on the main roster, man, before it's too late, for real, let him be with his cousins and his brother, bro, let him be there so the whole legit bloodline can literally be together as a unit, that is the most, it doesn't take that much brain power or rocket science to figure that out, you had, ugh, anyway, get Solo on the main roster, hurry up and get it done, anyway, after this, we get the debut of Tiffany Stratton going against uh, Scrub. No disrespect to the woman's name, but by God, I didn't care too much. Uh, Tiffany wins the match by pinfall when Tiffany throws the Scrub into a corner, hits a backflip, uh, clothesline, and then the STO for the win. Tiffany had a couple hiccups in the match, but I'll give her some grace because she's not a trained uh, train like professional wrestler. Yes, she's been trained by the scouts and the wrestlers down there in NXT management like that type of deal but she wasn't on the independence like that she wasn't trading on for years like a lot of these male professional wrestlers or even some of the female professional wrestlers in the NXT women's division like out here she was just a person that they plucked from somewhere put her in WWE see what they can do and this is what's happening so I'll give her some grace so we still gotta let her uh mature in time in the ring to see what she actually can do. But for her debut, she wasn't too bad. After this, now it's time for the contract signing between the Cruiserweight champion, Roderick Strong, who has Diamond Mine in his corner, and the North American champion, Carmelo Hayes, who has Trick Williams in his corner. This this segment was entertaining because you had Malcolm Bivens and Trick Williams going back and forth at the beginning, and you had Malcolm Bivens basically translate black person slang to Diamond Mind, Wade Barrett, and the rest of the NXT audience. And he had to break it down to English for everybody to understand it. Then you had Roddy break uh, Malcolm Bivens, not break Malcolm Bivens, he told Malcolm Bivens to translate, tell Trick I'm going to kick his butt. 
And then Malcolm Bivens basically told Trick and Carmelo, listen, you best not miss when you come at the crown. Uh, if you want some, come get some. Nuck if you book. I mean, Malcolm was letting it off in this whole thing. And then he got the crowd excited and cheering for that. I would say go and look at that segment. If anything else on this NXT episode, go look at that contract signing. You can look at it on YouTube. Look at the contract signing between Roddy and Carmelo. It's entertaining. But getting down to brass tacks, Carmelo tells Roddy Strong the next week he's going to take the Cruiserweight Championship from him. And yeah, that's all that is to it. Roddy gets on the mic and tells Carmelo that the next week will be the greatest night of his career when he walks out as a two-time North American champion while Hayes won't, and he'll become Humble Hayes. Both men sign the contract. Carmelo Hayes leaves the ring, and before Trick is about to leave the ring, Michael Bivens suckers Trick into staying in the ring when he talks about how Dexter Loomis basically got Trick Williams running scared last week. Trick is in Michael Bivens' face. And once he turns around, the Creed brothers pick up Trick Williams and slams him right through the contract table. And you have Diamond Mine standing over Trick Williams as you have Carmelo Hayes outside in the ring rubbing his face because he knows he got to deal with all of Diamond Mine next week. And he probably doesn't have the manpower to deal with that. Anyway, after this, it's time for Solo Sequoia to go against Santos Escobar, who has Legado Del Fantasma in his corner. Solo wins the match by pinfall thanks to the distraction by Zion Quinn. When Santos has Solo Sequoia laid out in the ring, he sees Zion standing on the outside of the ring, and he's looking at Electra Lopez. Santos decides to dive to the outside of the ring and hit Zion Quinn and starts punching Zion Quinn. Santos then gets off of him, and he looks at Electra Lopez and says, you have to decide if it's Familia or this guy. And then Santos gets back into the ring, and once he does, Solo Sequoia supercase Santos in the face, Goes to the top turnbuckle, hits a Uso splash for the win, and that's all she wrote. Good one-on-one match between Solo Sequoia and Santos Escobar. Again, they want to do something with Solo Sequoia. If you beat Santos Escobar, a mid-card guy who they look as maybe a guy they probably could even push to the main event spot. If you have somebody like Solo Sequoia who is a part of the Wrestling Dynasty family, do that. Trust me, you're looking at Solo Sequoia as one of the next big things at NXT. Probably a guy that could carry the brand. And Solo Sequoia more than likely can. Anyway, we go backstage now. Solo Sequoia is walking backstage, and he's asked by an interviewer what's next for him. Solo says anybody that wants some can come get some. And then out of the blue, he's attacked by Boa, who has, well, the face paint on. Boa locks in the tongue and desk grip on Solo Sequoia, and then you get backstage officials try to separate Boa from uh, Sequoia. But Boa attacks a cameraman. You see a cameraman drop, and the camera looks up into the sky. And then he cuts right back over to Solo Sequoia, holding his throat. And then you see Boa standing there without makeup. And he looks like he's just confused by what's happening as you see backstage officials telling Boa to get away from Solo. So Boa has no idea what just happened. We look like we're going to an amnesia gimmick for Boa. But he's got this mystic powers that he was left with by the former leader of uh, God. I can't even remember the name. Shang Tsu or something like that? Whatever the case may be, dog. I can't even remember the freaking group's name or even the woman's name. But he was left with some mystic powers by the lady. It's garbage. I wish they would just leave that crap alone. And hurry up and get Sola out of there. He's a main event star. 
Solo Sequoia is a main event star. I'm going to call it his written all over him, especially with him having the dynasty of the Samoan dynasty backing him. Main event star written all over him in NXT. And if they do it on a main event roster too, he has main event star written all over him too. After this, we get Von, Bre- Von Wagner going against Malik Blade. Von Wagner wins the match by pinfall when he hits the double underhook spinning slam for the win. After the match, Von was about to grab um, Blade, but Idris Enoughy grabs Blade's foot and pulls him out of the ring. It looks like we're going to get Von Wagner going against Idris later Somewhere down the line to probably like get back that win that Idris got from him last week. Uh, but during the match, Robert Stone was backstage looking at the match on the screen. So it looks like Robert Stone is going to try to manage Von Wagner in his NXT time down there. Again, Robert Stone. Great uh, guy. If they use him right, if they use him in the right capacity, he probably could be a great manager. But he's always been a laughable type of manager. We never got to see Robert Stone being like that serious type of manager. For every female that he's been like um, managing, he's always like the goofy guy. The Robert Stone brand this and that, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully, Von Wagner, he gets to be a serious, uh, mean type of manager. And that's what I want. Now it's time for the main event of NXT. You get Cora Jade and Raquel Gonzalez going against Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai. Great women's tag team match. Again, you give them enough time. Trust me, they get to actually do what they got to do. Uh, Cora Jade and Raquel Gonzalez wins the match by pinfall when Kaylee Ray pinned Cora from behind. And as the referee was about to hit the three, Raquel Gonzalez pushed Kaylee Ray and Cora Jade now has the upper hand on the pin. And Cora is pinning Kaylee Ray and she wins the match. Um, but before the match even ended, you saw the kind of this coexisting between uh, Cora Jade and Raquel Gonzalez because Raquel was about to pin either Io or Kaylee Ray, but Cora Jade tagged herself in and she wanted to get the win. You could tell that both of these ladies have no idea what they want to do. They both want the shine and the glory because Raquel did all the work and uh, Cora wants to just basically grab the glory for herself because Cora Jade is basically the young upstart in NXT. We could, that's the story that we're telling here. Anyway, after the match, Raquel Gonzalez and Cora Jade are arguing, but Mandy Rose, again, pops up on the Titantron and tells Raquel and Cora that this is the exact reason why she made the match next week, a triple threat match. Both of those ladies will be arguing about who should win the match next week and be the champion, while Mandy will just have to be able to beat one to two ladies and retain her championship quite easily. And that's the end of your NXT highlights of the week. Again, the only thing that I will recommend you watching is literally the contract signing between Roderick Strong and Carmelo Hayes. That's the only thing, like, literally entertaining throughout this whole night of NXT, of the entertainment variety. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. And AEW Dynamite starts off with a 10-man tag team match it is Jurassic Express, Christian Cage, and the AEW Tag Team Champions, Lucha Brothers, going against Matt Hardy, Private Party, and the AAA Tag Team Champions, FTR. This was a good 10-man uh, tag team match that opened up AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite opens up with matches that will start set the tone for the rest of the night. And this one set the tone pretty good for the rest of the night. Anyway... FTR won the match by pinfall when Penta was going to hit the Fear Factor 
on Dax Harwood, but Christian tagged himself in, which led to Penta arguing with Christian, and it had FTR hitting both of the men, and Penta rolls out of the ring, and this led to FTR hitting the big rig on Christian, and then Dax pinned him for the win. Again, fun match to open up the show, and I forgot to mention, this is the last T uh, AEW Dynamite on TNT, because next week, Dynamite will be on TBS, still on Wednesday at 8 o'clock. And also, this is JR's first time on commentary uh, back since he's now cancer-free. He had cancer in his foot, and he went through the chemo process, and they were able to uh, eliminate the cancer off of his foot. So, uh, it's glad to see Jim Ross back on AEW. It was glad to hear from Jim Ross throughout this whole night, even though I did like Taz on commentary whenever they did have Taz these uh, past couple of weeks. But we're still going to get Taz, I believe, on Rampage. So I'm still good with that. Uh, anyway, after this, we got a six-man tag team match. Dale Garcia and 2.0 going against Eddie Kingston and Proud and Powerful. Again, another uh, solid six-man tag team match. Another solid match here. 2.0 and Daniel Garcia win the match by pinfall when Matt Lee of 2.0 rolls up Santana and holds his pants for the win. After the match, 2.0 and Daniel Garcia attack Santana and Ortiz and Eddie Kingston. At one point, 2.0 is holding up Santana and Daniel Garcia goes outside, grab the ring bell, and he's setting himself up to hit Santana for a long time. And it looks like, like somebody's supposed to run out and it looks like somebody's missing their cue. It even gets to a point that I believe that Daniel Garcia says, screw that. He runs over and hits Santana in the head with the ring bell. And once he does this, give it about a good five seconds later, who runs out? None other than Chris Jericho with a baseball bat. And Chris Jericho runs both members of 2.0 and Daniel Garcia out of the ring into the back. You have Chris Jericho's music hitting. The fans are singing along with the Judas uh, theme song. And you see Chris Jericho looking down at Santana, seeing if he's okay. And you see Eddie looking at Chris Jericho, and he gets up, tells people in the back to cut the music he says cut the crap and they cut the music you see eddie and chris jericho getting each other's face eddie's asking chris jericho why are you out here chris said that i'm out here to save you and them eddie says i don't need your help chris then points over at santana and ortiz says i'm out here to save them eddie tells chris that they don't need your help they're my friends and now you get eddie just getting more and more angry and he looks like he wants to do something to chris but Ortiz had to step in between Eddie and Chris. And at one point, you see Eddie just push off of Ortiz and say, don't touch me. And he's still looking at Eddie, not Eddie. Eddie's looking at Chris. And you see Eddie just tell Ortiz, you better get your mans, get your mans. So it's setting up a match between Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho somewhere down the line. And even at that, the root of both of their problems are 2.0 and Daniel Garcia, who looks like the guys are just getting away scot-free with murder here. And I'm cool with this, because you know what? Anytime we get more Eddie Kingston on television, I'm cool with that. And especially when he's really angry and really pissed off, Eddie Kingston, oh, I enjoy it. Because he gives off great interviews, he gives off great backstage segments, he gives off great in-ring promos. If he's on commentary, he's great. Eddie Kingston is a great just talker in general. So anytime we get more Eddie Kingston on television, I'm cool with it. After this, we get MGF, Sean Spears, and Warlow in their locker room. And MGF is standing there, and he mentions how CM Punk has been wanting to have a match with him. But last week, 
They were in their mat. They were in a six man last week. And he mentions how Punk was too afraid to get in the ring with him, which we all know we saw MGF running away from Punk every chance that Punk got tagged in to the match that MGF got tagged in. MGF was not trying to get nowhere close to Punk. MGF says that he's off to bigger and better things now. He's done with CM Punk. And he says he wants to go after Pretty Platinum, the AEW World Championship. MGF says, why even stop there? He looks at Warlow and tells Warlow that you need to stop using the multiple power bombs and just beat your opponents so you can qualify for the face of the Revolution ladder match. I mean, he tells Warlow, listen, big dog, I know you can win that match. And once you do, because the winner of that ladder match will get a shot at the TNT Championship. Once you win that, I need you to forfeit that opportunity to me. Warlow looks at MGF and says, excuse me? MGF says, I thought something like this would happen. He tells Sean Spears to go out and get Mark Sterling. Sean goes out. He gives Mark. Mark goes into the room. Mark reads Warlow's contract. And in the contract, it reads that any type of championship opportunities or any type of merchandise deals, any type of anything that basically will benefit Warlow, all those things will be forfeited over to MJF. So that means contract states that any championship opportunities that Warlow will be receiving, all those will be forfeited right over to MJF. So MJF then looks into the camera and says his catchphrase, I'm better than you and you know it. And Warlow doesn't look uh, too pleased by this. And I'm telling you, somewhere down the line, it's coming close. It's coming really close. Warlow's going to turn on MJF and he's going to beat the brakes off that boy. To the point that, you know what? He's not going to beat the brakes off of MJF first. No, 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 no. He's going to put his hands on MJF's throat, and then you're going to have all the pinnacle beat up on Warlow. And we're probably even going to introduce a new muscle to beat up on Warlow to take his spot in the pinnacle. I don't know who it is yet. Give me some time. You know what? Probably Brian Cage. Because we haven't seen Cage in a minute. And I probably might even say, you know what? Why not throw him in with the pinnacle? He's a guy that can do a lot of stuff, do a lot of things in the ring. And I don't think that AEW should be losing somebody like Brian Cage because Cage is a good piece of any puzzle that you want to put him in with. So if we're going to have Warlow leaving the pinnacle and we need another heavy, put Brian Cage in there. He's doing nothing and is a waste of talent to just throw him out there. Put Brian Cage in the pinnacle just as a backup for whenever Warlow does leave the group. We get Tony Schiavone backstage now with the Lucha Brothers. And before the Lucha Brothers can even say anything, Christian and Jurassic Express walk up to uh, the Lucha Brothers. And Christian tells the Lucha Brothers that they cost them the win tonight. So Christian says, you know what? I'm just going to issue the challenge right now. I'm going to get the inevitable out the way. Next week for the AEW Tag Team Championships, my boys, the Jurassic Express, going against the Lucha Brothers for the AEW Tag Team Championships. The Lucha Brothers accepts. And Alex Abrahantes translated for Penta. And Penta ultimately says that Jungle Boy is the person that people are calling the future of the business. But he should be letting go of the past. And he points at Christian. And he's basically saying that Christian is holding back the Jurassic Express. We'll have to see what happens next week. It gets announced that next week the match does happen between the two teams for the AEW Tag Team Championships. I'm calling it right now. I think the Lucha Brothers are going to win. And I think that we're probably going to see a little bit much more filthier, ruthless uh, side out of the Jurassic Express. Um, after this, we get Warlow with Sean Spears in his corner going against Colin Delaney. 
Warlow will win the match by pinfall when he powerbombs Colin Delaney four times, then pins him. After the match, Sean Spears looks disappointed because Warlow did exactly what MGF told him not to do. MGF told him don't use multiple powerbombs, just hurry up and beat your opponent and get it out the way. After one powerbomb, Warlow was able to beat Colin Delaney, but Warlow listened to himself and he listened to the fans after the fans were chanting one more time over and over again. So he disobeyed MJF. As Colin Delaney was walking past, almost walking past Sean Spears, Sean Spears hits Colin Delaney in the back with a steel chair. Then Sean Spears gets excited and he starts saying, hey, we got him. We did it. All right, let's go to the back. Warlow doesn't look happy about it because Warlow's tired of Sean Spears taking the spotlight off of him, and they go to the back. Once we go backstage, we see Adam Cole with the Young Bucks and Red Dragon. If you don't know who Red Dragon are, that is the team name of Kyle Riley and Bobby Fish. That's the team name they were using on Ring of Honor, and that's the team name that they're using in AEW. Adam tells the Bucks that the five of them will be the most dominant group in not just AEW, but in all professional wrestling. Matt asks Adam, is this what you want? Because Kyle hasn't said hello to us since he debuted here last week. Kyle then looks at Matt sarcastically and gives Matt a hello. And then asks Adam, can you talk to him alone? And you could definitely tell there is some tension between Red Dragon and the Young Bucks. Because when Kyle gave off that sarcastic hello to Matt, you can see Bobby Fish kind of giving the like wink over to uh, the Young Bucks, too. Like, he doesn't really like them, neither. But it's kind of crazy because Kyle O'Reilly wasn't here these past couple weeks, but Bobby Fish was looking chummy up with Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. But this all could just be a part of a long con for the Red Dragon and Adam Cole with the Young Bucks. We'll have to see. Uh, Matt tells Kyle that anything you have to say to Adam, you can say with us being here right next to him. Adam then looks to Matt and tells him, hey, it's okay, I got this. Matt says, okay, and then the Bucks leave. Kyle then looks at Bobby and says, hey, I need to speak to Adam Malone, all right? Bobby says that he's cool with it. He gives off his handshake over to Kyle, and then he taps him on the back, and he walks away. Kyle looks at Adam, and he tells him, listen, man, I know that me and you got some heat between each other. We still got some things that we got to get figured out, but this is AEW, a new landscape. The three of us are the most dangerous individuals in any company, and we could dominate this company. And he talks about in the main event how he knows Bobby Fish will have his back tonight, but he wants to know, and he has to see if Adam Cole will have his back tonight, and Kyle leaves. So they are continuing the story that they built in NXT of Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole basically not liking each other, but Adam Cole looks like he's turning a new leaf. He looks like he's so excited to see Kyle Kyle doesn't know the still if he has that trust factor with Adam Cole yet. So we'll have to see what happens in the main event. And that's one thing I like about AEW. They don't care whether it's New Japan, Ring of Honor, MLW, WWE. If you have a rivalry in any of these companies and you move yourself over here with you and that person that you had a rivalry with and you happen to either group up with each other or still continue a rivalry, they will still tell that story. They're not playing the fans stupid because the fans have been watching every product. They're assuming that you have. And if you haven't, you have another person right beside you or people on the internet that can inform you of what is going down. That's another reason why I like AEW. WWE, they kind of play off of it a little bit. I know in NXT, they 
would heighten up if you were a rivalry with each other. I will give old NXT that, but now since they went to the colorful side, I don't see them doing that but so much. The only person that they're doing it right now, technically, is with Grayson Waller because he's still using uh, the Gargano super kick, and he hasn't said Gargano's name, but he's still kind of like giving a little wink-wink, nudge-nudge to Johnny Gargano whenever he said he took out another certain someone out of NXT. But AEW, they still continue on with the rivalries or anything from other wrestling companies. They don't just ignore it. After this, we get Men of the Year in the ring with Dan Lamberg. Dan Lambert starts calling uh, Brandy a stripper. He starts making some type of jokes about Brandy being the Brandy Rose being the only Brandy that is not a stripper. And then Ethan Page gets on the mic and says, "Well, not yet." And then you start seeing Dan Lambert talking about how terrible Cody is, how Cody's making backstage deals with Tony Khan, and you get all this type of crap talking about Cody until Brandy Rose comes out. Brandy calls Dan Lamberg a less talented version of Paul Heyman. Brandy tells Dan that she will kick his butt. Dan accepts the challenge. But before Brandy can even get her hands on Dan Lamberg, Dustin Rhodes comes out to stop it. He gets in between Dan and Brandy. He talks to Brandy. But out of nowhere, both members of Men of the Year, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, attack uh, Dustin from behind. And then they leave the ring with Dan Lamberg. And it gets announced that on Rampage, it will be Cody Rhodes going against Ethan Page for the TNT Championship. After this, we get our TBS Championship semifinals between Thunder Rosa and Jade Cargo with Smart Mark Sterling in her corner. Jay wins the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction by Mark and an unknown figure who attacks Thunder Rosa. When Mark gives Jade some water as Jade was being locked, after Jade was being locked in the figure four leg lock, the the referee was chastising Mark Sterling. While this was happening, Rosa tried to lock in the hold again, but Jade pushes Rosa into a corner. And when this happens, Rosa hits the corner, and she's kind of like stunned, and then a mystery figure goes over and hits Thunder Rosa in the head with an object. And you got everybody looking around like, who is this mystery person? Jade grabs Thunder Rosa and then hits Jaded and then covers her for the win. So Jade qualifies to the finals next week and she will be facing Ruby Soho for the TBS Championship next week on Dynamite. After the match, as Jade was celebrating with her arm in the air, Thunder Rosa attacks her. The mystery figure comes in and attacks Thunder Rosa. So now you got Jade and the mystery figure attacking Thunder Rosa. The mystery figure gets off of Rosa, looks into the camera, starts unmasking, and it turns out to be Mercedes Martinez. Mercedes Martinez and Jade continue to attack Thunder Rosa until Ruby Soho comes down with a pipe to make the save. And uh, both Jade and Martinez leave the ring and retreat to the back. And it does get announced on social media by Tony Condit. Mercedes Martinez has now signed with AEW. After this, we get CM Punk's in-ring promo. He starts off by giving flowers verbally to Jim Ross, and he tells Jim that he's glad to see him back at work. He's glad that he's uh, cancer-free. CM Punk talks about how Daily Place has been the home of CM, uh, not CM Punk, but of AEW, and now watching what they did with Brody Lee ceremony last year. Uh, he wanted to come to AEW. He wanted to, go to come to Daly's Place 
to feel that type of energy. He even talks about how Brody Lee was a good friend and how he was a good man. And he talks about how if people say anything bad about Brody Lee, they just have the misfortune of never knowing the man. Punk then switches gears and talks about MGF. He talks about how MGF said earlier he's done with CM Punk. CM Punk says that he's cool with that. As a matter of fact, he's actually fine with it because he's actually thinking about going after the AEW World Championship. Punk mentions how if MGF is going after the championship, then sooner or later, their path will have to cross and more or less, they'll probably have to wrestle against each other. And he talks about if MGF has learned anything that on the mic, in the ring, and even on commentary, nobody could touch CM Punk. CM Punk by finish finishes off his whole promo by saying, it would be a shame if someone were to get in MGF's way of trying to go after the AEW World Championship. And he gives a wink and he drops the mic. I'm saying this right now. We're not going to get CM Punk in MGF probably until, what, Revolution? Revolution is in March, and we still got a couple more, like, uh, months to get that up and running, like, fully up and running. And, um, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with CM Punk. CM Punk is still be feuding off, not even feuding off, but doing these, like, little one-off matches with young and upcoming guys. That's cool, but... We need to get CM Punk in a feud in probably like another two weeks with somebody if it's not going to be MJF now. That's just my whole theory because MJF, he's a complete dickhead. He could be easily put with anybody and that could be a feud with a good implications down the line. CM Punk just needs to feud with somebody that's on like the bar of CM Punk or of anything, a younger talent that CM Punk can raise their stock to make them who they need to be for AEW. After this, we get Brian Pillman in the ring with Tony Schiavone. He talks about how Griff Garrison lost his match with Malachi last week. Uh, Brian says that Griff stepped into the House of Black last week, and he talks about how he doesn't remember what happened after he got in the ring. Pillman starts making the challenge to Malachi. He says next week we will see a new version of Brian Pillman Jr. The lights go out, and then the spotlight comes on, and Malachi is on the entrance ramp. And he pulls his mask up, he points to the ring, the lights go out, and when the lights pop back on, Malachi Black is gone, and we see Brian Pillman standing there in the ring, and he's so hyped up, he just can't wait to face Malachi next week. And it does get announced, next week, Brian Pillman Jr. will go against Malachi Black. Now it's time for the main event of AEW, the last main event on TNT for AEW Dynamite. It is a six-man, best friends in Orange Cassidy, going against... Adam Cole, and the newly reunited Red Dragon. Let me say this right now. When Adam Cole and Red Dragon came down there and they did their entrance and they got in the middle of the ring and they did their whole Adam Cole baby with the whole Adam Cole fingers taunts in the air and Adam Cole and Bobby Fish did their whole uh, taunt. Kyle Riley and Bobby Fish did their whole taunt right next to Adam Cole. It looked like, my God, it looked like they were about to throw up the U.E. But boy, let me tell you right now, NXT for these NXT this last year in 2021, it taught them straight up not how to throw that UE anymore. That AEW's fooling, taking full advantage of. Because when after they hit that taunt, you mean to tell me as a fan that's been watching NXT for a good solid four years that Undisputed Era were dominating NXT after every time they would do that whole entrance uh pose, they would always throw up the UE after that. 
You mean to tell me you didn't feel a little itching in your chest that said, just throw it up once. Just throw it up once. But you got to remember, they're an AEW. They can't throw up the UE because the UE hand signal, the undisputed name, belongs to WWE as a trademark. So they didn't do that. But you, as a wrestling fan, you just wanted them to throw it up so bad. But NXT this last year in 2021, it taught them how not to throw it up. So AEW's taking full advantage of that. They all came out in black and uh, silver, too. Not black and white, but black and silver. Color coordination. I really appreciate it from uh, Adam Cole and Red Dragon. Anyway, great six-man match from these from all six of these men. Uh, Adam Cole and Red Dragon win the match by pinfall when Brandon Color comes down to the ring to distract the referee, and then the Young Bucks get in the ring and hit a pair of super kicks on Trent and Chuck Taylor which allows Red Dragon to grab Chuck Taylor up and hit Chasing the Dragon, which is a uh, brain buster with a kick to the back. And that leads to Red Dragon winning the match. After the match, the Bucks and Brandon run down to check on Adam Cole to see if he's okay, because moments before the match ended, Kyle O'Reilly was running over to hit uh, Orange Cassidy in the face with a big boot to the face. But Arch Cassidy ducked, and the kick actually hits Adam Cole in the face. Um, this leads to a separation between the Young Bucks and Red Dragon, with Adam Cole being in the middle, but he's kind of with the Young Bucks as he's holding his face. And Matt Jackson's kind of still, like, playing to Adam Cole, and you can see that Matt Jackson's kind of, like, telling Adam Cole that Kyle hit you on purpose, and he's pointing at Kyle O'Reilly, and the camera focuses back on Kyle, and Kyle's, like, looking sincere, like, I didn't mean to do that, man. And he's trying to... Like, tell him, like, yo, I didn't mean to. And you see, like, Kyle being sincere. So, it looks like we're going to play into this for a good couple more weeks and probably even more months. Hopefully, we give this whole storyline between either the Young Bucks or Red Dragon for two months. Because you guys can, I mean, you guys can lay this out slow and bold for two months and build it up. I don't know when Kenny's supposed to be coming back. It was reported that Kenny might be coming back in February. Might not. I'm not sure. Let's just go. Let's just go with this. If Kenny comes back in February, and I say we let this slow bold and build up for two months, two months will go into February. This would be the right about enough time for Adam Cole to make his decision. He'll he'll be with Red Dragon or the Young Bucks, more or less Red Dragon. He'll be with them. They'll have a whole new name. They'll dominate. Kenny comes back, and then we get the big six man dream warfare match of the Young Bucks and Kenny, the elite, going against Red Dragon and Adam Cole. Maybe. Or we can do the unthinkable, and this is really unthinkable. All five of those guys really do come together, and Kenny Omega has to talk to the Bucks and get the Bucks to side with Kenny as Adam Cole is going to try to manipulate the Young Bucks as a way as Adam Cole basically say, hey, you guys owe me. You guys try to kill me off. You guys did that to me. You owe me. And he hasn't forgot Kenny yet, because I'm telling you, we're going to get an Adam Cole versus Kenny Omega match. We're getting that somewhere down in the line of 2021. We're getting that. Not 2021, 2022. We're going to get that match. I can't wait to see it. I believe that's a legit main event on any pay-per-view that you want to do it. If you want to do it on AEW Dynamite, cool. Rampage, cool. Uh, Pay-per-view, big time cool. I believe that's a main event anywhere I know we're going to get that in 2022. If not, I question why. But AEW is ultimately going to do what the fans want them to do. and uh, But they give us, but they make us wait for it. And I appreciate that. And I'm cool with that. 
But anyway, that is your AEW highlights of the week. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. Rampage opens up with a match between Darby Allen and Anthony Bowens of the Acclaim. Darby Allen beats Anthony Bowens by pinfall. This happens when Darby Allen hits the uh, coffin drop onto Bowens to win the match. It was a solid match between Anthony Bowens and Darby Allen. You had the outside interference of Max Caster. You had Sting coming out, well, to help out his boy Darby Allen to equal the playing field. And it was a solid match between the two. After the match, Andrade El Idolo came out and he just stood on the entrance ramp. And Darby Allen looked at Andrade as Sting got attacked from behind by the acclaimed. Once Darby notices, Darby tries to help uh, Sting, but he gets demolished by both members of the acclaimed as well. And they leave Darby and Sting laid out in the ring. After this, now it's time for the tag team street fight match between Anna Jay and Ty Conti going against the Bunny and Penelope Ford. Anna Jay and Ty Conte win the match by submission when Anna Jay makes the bunny tap out. And she does this by wrapping her arm around in Bob Wire, then grabbing the bunny and locking in a sleeper hole, which she calls the Queen Slayer. And the Bob Wire is basically at the bunny's throat, and Bunny has to tap out as the Bob Wire is basically like going to pierce her skin. Uh, this was a real bloody match for all these ladies. I'm not going to front. The only people in this match that did not bleed were Penelope Ford and Anna Jay. Ty Conte, she bleed, well, she bled from her forehead. And the bunny, she heavily bled in this match on the forehead. She got a nice solid, she got a nice cut. And I mean, her blood started coming from her forehead down to her eye, then to, to her mouth. I mean, it was a pretty, pretty uh violent um image of that. But I wouldn't change that for the world because you want to know why? This shows that the women can get bloody and messy as the men, and I personally enjoy this uh, street fight. You had barbed wire, you had tables in it, even though, like, the first table didn't, like, bust or break because um, Penelope Ford had Ty Conti laid out on the table, and she went to the top rope to hit a moonsault on Ty Conti, which she did do, but when she did it, the table was supposed to break, but it didn't, so that table just basically stood there still. Um, you had ladders, you had thumbtacks, you had chairs. I mean, this was a whole smorgasbord of nothing but weapons in this street fight. I would suggest you to please watch this street fight match between these four ladies. Trust me, it's an entertaining street fight match. If you enjoy blood, like old school wrestling uh style, not that much blood, but enjoy blood enough. Trust me, I would suggest you watch this match. And in the main event of AEW Rampage, you had the champion, Cody, putting up his AEW TNT Championship against Ethan Page. Cody wins the match by pinfall when he hits two crossroads and then the Tiger Driver 97 for the win. In this match, we got a more ruthless side of Cody. He even at one point took off Ethan Page's knee brace and started to attack the knee that Ethan Page has the brace on. So we're starting to see Cody get much more ruthless and sadistic now. It's going to elevate more, and I'm pretty sure Arn Anderson is going to really help uh, amplify it up to a point that I believe Arn Anderson is going to look at Cody and say, okay, that's enough, and Cody's probably going to push Arn off to the side and just beat down on somebody after he knows he got the match won. I see that for Cody coming down the line, but right now we're still doing that slow build, and I'm enjoying the slow build that we got for Cody. Just want to let the record be known. Cody is a bad guy right now. He is a bad guy. Just want to let that be known. But we're going to get a much more um, aggressive Cody in the future. Anyway, 
That is your AEW Rampage Highlights of the Week. Before I get you guys out of here, let me give you my predictions for Day 1, which happens tonight. Um, In the WWE Fatal 4-Way match between Big E, Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, and Bobby Lashley, I have, God forbid, I want Big E to retain this and have him go into the Royal Rumble as the WWE Champion. So I'm going with Big E. Roman Reigns going against Brock Lesnar. God, please. I need Roman Reigns to win this. And I'll break to you why after I give you the uh, the rest of the matches. Uso is going against the New Day for the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championships. Uh, the New Day. Because the New Day can do much more other things, have other matches with other tag teams. The Usos have beaten everybody around. So it's time for the New Day to get the straps. And uh, just have their little turn with it and then drop it to another credible tag team. Edge versus The Miz. Edge needs to win this. The Miz is cool. He'll be easily to put off to somebody else, but Edge, uh, yeah. Becky Lynch versus Liv Morgan for the WWE Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch is going to win because we're not having Becky drop the title to Liv Morgan at day one. That's not happening. Drew McIntyre versus Madcap Moss. Throwaway match. Drew McIntyre is winning. RK Bro going against the Street Profits for the Raw Tag Team Championships. Ooh, this one's a toss-up because we got Riddle going over to NXT this Tuesday. Um, You know what? I'm picking RK Bro to retain the tag team titles, and they'll probably drop it somewhere later. Not now, but later. They'll drop it soon to somebody. And let me give you the reason why I go back to the Universal Championship match between Roman and Brock. Why I want Roman to win this match. I don't want to have Brock retain, no, not even retain, regain the Universal Championship, then go off somewhere else and not be seen again until, what, Royal Rumble, maybe-ish, but definitely WrestleMania without the Universal Championship. Shoot, we might be getting that way with Roman Reigns if WWE has their way and they keep on being stupid because it was reported this week that WWE has stopped uh, COVID testing for their performers, meaning that their performers don't have to do the COVID testing anymore. But we did get an update from Dave Meltzer this Thursday on his Wrestling Observer newsletter, and he uh, got a memo that was sent out to the rest of the talent that uh, that outlines WWE's updated policy. It suggests that everyone get the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine uh, course and a booster. If someone previously had a single dose Johnson and Johnson vaccine, it suggested they get a Pfizer or Moderna booster. Fully vaccinated personnel will be asked screening questions and observed prior to enter the venue. Anyone with symptoms is required to report them to WWE Medical. Anyone with symptoms is required to take a COVID test. Anyone who tests positive and is not vaccinated will have a minimum 10 days of quarantine and as well as a heart testing before they can return to work. Those who test positive and are fully vaccinated must be out for six days beginning on day five. If they are symptomatic for 24 hours, they must pass two tests at least 24 hours apart before returning. Anyone in close contact with someone who tests positive is allowed to come to work, but will be tested daily for five days after exposure if they show no symptoms. Masks must be worn backstage by all talent, staff, Crew and guests, there are mandatory fines for towns and staff failing to adhere to the policy. Meaning, if you feel any type of symptoms, uh, you got to report it and you got to take a test. And if you get popped with some type of uh, situation, uh, you got to sit your butt out. So they're not required to do COVID testing anymore. 
Roman Reigns is leukemia, and from my understanding, leukemia is a thing that could take him out, and it's a type of cancer for Roman. That's the reason why he dipped out of WWE in after he won at uh, SummerSlam and beat Brock Lesnar. He had to relinquish the Universal Championship because his leukemia came popping back up, and he had to dip. And that's the reason why he left out at the beginning of 2020, because uh, COVID came to America, everything was locked down, and Roman was not trying to get himself sick because his leukemia would be acting up. So if and only if this thing happens to come to WWE, which we have known it does, which it did come because we know Seth Rollins had uh, COVID last week and he was reported. Um, I don't know what Roman's going to do. I don't know what WWE's going to do. I would rather have Roman retain the belt and have him dip off and have him just shoot vignettes, which we all know what it is. Roman can say that WWE isn't taking care of their people. He can just try to kind of shoot, kind of half not shoot on the company while he's uh, shooting these vignettes and shooting, sending them off to SmackDown to make the fans still care about him and still show the relevancy of Roman Reigns because we know Roman's going to show up probably at the Royal Rumble do his job, and then pop up out of WrestleMania. Have him show up on SmackDown from time to time, but have him be secluded in his own little private locker room. Something like that for Roman. But Brock Lesnar, he's on a guaranteed contract. We know what it is. We know what time it is. He shows up for these limited dates that he's supposed to show up, and that's about it throughout the year. Roman Reigns is on a performer's contract. That means he has these dates. Not even these dates. He's a performer. Yo, you are a full-time WWE roster member you got to show up so i'm hoping that roman wins we can do some creative with him in the universal championship if he does happen to uh not feel safe safe as he did uh this year with the covid situation but we'll have to see with um wwe not fully like testing all their uh employees their uh wrestlers but we'll have to see whenever uh happens tonight at day one but also know that I will be reviewing day one on Monday where you will be hearing it on all the my podcast services. And with that, let me get you guys out of here uh, on Twitter. You can find me at at my two podcasts, Instagram, my two cents podcast, G2 email. My email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. M Y number two C E N T S P O D at yahoo.com. Remember that email is open up for anybody. If they want to email me about anything, you're depressed. You're sad, you're lonely, you're happy, you want to tell somebody, you don't know who to tell. Hey, I am here. Any type of business opportunities anybody wants to throw over my way, I will take it as well. And um, yeah, that's it. I want you guys to have a safe and happy New Year's because last night everybody had the New Year celebration of popping, fireworks, and everything else, seeing the ball drop. I hope you all are safe, sound. I hope you guys are not inebriated. And if you are, please get something in your stomach to settle it down and just take a breather and just let your day go as it's supposed to. Um, I have an episode coming out tomorrow on Sunday. Please, I hope you guys want to. I hope you guys listen to that. If not, hey, you guys will be able to hear from me again mo- Monday for my WWE Day One review, and you will be hearing from me again next Saturday on the Wrestling Highlights of the Week. With that, this isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again. This has been, uh. Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. I thank you. Kanye, can you please take us home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.